What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. What is crack-a-lackin', loyal Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Favalli, coming at you this time with my super-duper, incredibly esteemed, awesome times, awesome, fantabulous, spectaculario, is not letting his own inexplicable bias against the Marvel movies deprive his son Ben of watching them for himself and passing his own judgment co-host, Andrew D. Bailey. Need to pause for a second to catch my breath there. Uh, before we get started, going to really look far ahead uh, into the crystal ball and rank some free agency destinations. We get really thorough with sort of the cap outlooks and where teams stand. It's going to be fun, trust me. And you'll be able to use this as a reference as we get closer to the offseason. Uh, just the usual housekeeping notes first, though. Please, 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 please continue rate, rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. That is the single most important thing that you can do to help out the pod, that combination of three things, rate, review, and above all, subscribe and download all our episodes. If you do get us from another podcast medium, rate, review, subscribe to us, whatever you need to do there. You can also be a superhero and go on iTunes anyway and do the aforementioned three things there as well. Follow Hardwood Knox on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com. Search Hardwood Knox. We will come up, I promise you. Definitely follow Andy on Twitter at Andrew D. Bailey. I am at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. You can also help out the pod by following the Blue Wire Podcast Network on Twitter at Blue Wire Pod, spelled exactly as it sounds. Last but certainly not least, shout out to our sponsor for this week and basically always, Bet Online AG. You'll be hearing from them in just a few minutes, but we thank them as always for making this podcast possible. Andy. How the hell are you doing? And is it, is it as good as me who just did that intro in under two minutes? Um, probably not quite because that was certainly impressive, but I am doing well and I'm uh, excited and ready to talk about free agency. I actually think we're just going to talk about Marvel movies for, for 90 minutes <laughs> and all your Oh, I have some takes. Yeah, um, most of them are terrible. I'm proud of you for rewatching them, though. I am proud of you for that. My, my son absolutely loves... Uh, superhero stuff he calls spider-man manny um okay (laughs) yeah so we were watching infinity war and the other day we get to the part where um iron man and and spider-man end up on that spaceship at the beginning of the movie and spider-man gets lost or something for a little bit and ben was just distraught he was like manny manny Uh, the o- it was okay. The opening few minutes of that movie, I liked the entire movie. You know, I love the Marvel movies in general, but the opening of that movie was just like so funny, and I enjoyed it so much. Like right through that spaceship scene, essentially. Yeah. Um, there's. I mean, now that I'm watching them with my son, I see. I think I see a lot more of the value to them. And I wasn't like. I think what a lot of people are drawn to with those movies is nostalgia, and I wasn't super into Avenger stuff. Like I was a big X Men kid, Star Wars. Um, so I'm probably like a little bit more biased towards, not probably, I'm definitely more biased, um, in favor of those, but 
with watching him with Ben has been fun for sure. You know what's odd is for me, I'm a Marvel junkie because of the movies. Like I was never a big comic book guy. I watched some of like the original Spider-Man cartoons, but that was basically the extent of it. I bet I'm sure that's a pretty big group too, because the the box office receipts are obviously pretty big on those movies and they can't all be comic book fans. So Right. Uh Martin Scorsese though, still not a fan, in case that matters to <laughs> anybody. I'm a big fan of Scorsese. I don't know if that's worth anything. I mean, he's made some good movies, but that was just an absolutely terrible take. <laughs> anyway, apparently sources tell me this is a basketball podcast. So Which we, sources tell you that? Yeah, exactly. That's uh, I'm just making this up as I go along, to be honest. <laughs> so we're going to rank some free agency destinations. We sort of uh, grappled with whether to do this so early, but look, we're coming out of the All-Star break. There, Everyone else was doing um, teams to watch and X-Factors and all that type type of stuff. So we, we decided to journey off the beaten path, at least for this time of year. Um, the way that we separated this is into three subsections, because it's really unfair to rank uh, teams that really aren't in similar cap situations against one another. So we have the max space teams or max space ish teams, um, the mini mid level exception teams, which are projected taxpayers. And then where the vast majority of the league falls into is the regular MLE teams for that non-taxpayer mid-level exception, which is worth about $9.8 million this summer. Uh, going through this, a lot of contract decisions were assumed. Um, you know, is Andre Drummond going to pick up his player option uh, in this scenario? We're estimating yes. Today, we're going to talk about the max base teams and the mini MLE teams, and we'll have a second podcast on the non-taxpayer MLE teams, which again includes a vast majority of the league. So where did you want to start? The max space teams or max space ish teams or the mini MLE teams? Let's do uh max and max ish. Um, awesome. I will say at least for me in doing these, I didn't it market mattered, but it was infinitesimal in my criteria because this is just an exercise for us and for you listeners. Uh, I was looking more so at basketball fit, immediate outlook, long-term outlook. And then yes, you know, you have to factor in, the the notion that oh yeah the Clippers play in Los Angeles and that might appeal to players but so um, anyway the tax base the taxpayers mid level exception this year is close to six million dollars and it's interesting um, as a general note because I'm wondering if it goes further than it would have in years past so, oh we're excuse me we're on the max base teams let me let me get to where Andy actually wanted to go <laughs> so the max base teams I only have five squads penciled into here um, before we get to their actual rankings. It was the, uh, the the five squads. I just won't mention them. There are teams that are not in this tier, like the Pelicans, the Sun, and the Mavericks are the ones that I have circled. They could get into this tier, but I don't think um, in the Pelicans' case that they'll just renounce uh, everybody except for Brandon Ingram for the hell of it. I think they might see value in bringing Derek Favors back. Uh, for the Mavericks, I really didn't know whether to assume that Tim Hardaway Jr. opts out or not because he is having a good year. Even if he even if he does opt out, I, maybe they might be interested in bringing him back since it's such slim pickings on the market. So this tier could expand, but as of right now, I only have five squads in it. With all that aside, uh, are you ready for my number five team, Andy? I am ready. The Detroit Pistons, who vaulted into this tier because they traded Andre Drummond to the Cleveland Cavaliers at the the trade deadline. There are things that could impact this if they decide to keep Blanks and Galloway and carries his cap hold, but they really do have a, a clear path to more than $30 million in room. And the threshold for me on whether a team should be in this tier is can they get to that first max uh, amount of money, which is 
of the $150 million salary cap. So they very clearly fall into here. I just don't know as a free agent, aside from if they're willing to overpay you in a market that doesn't have a ton of cap space, what the appeal here is. And then for them specifically, this doesn't seem like the year to just go out and try and overbid Mm -hmm. on restricted free agents. Yeah, um, I'm. I think you placed this one correctly. I, of the other, of of the five max teams that you've identified, and again, we won't spoil it. But um, this is easily easily the least desirable spot to me. And like you said, the only real um, incentive, I guess, for a free agent would be if they're going to throw me the max, I might as well take it. It's a ton of money, and and maybe I'm not getting that from another suitor because basketball wise it's a mess in detroit right now it was a mess before the andre drummond move um not as bad as cleveland according to drummond himself though apparently. yeah <laughs> that article was really something by the way the athletics inside uh look at cleveland but um that's neither here nor there the pistons um I, what do you have to look forward to if you're the pistons or a pistons fan blake griffin is I'm, I, I hate to even say this, but it's starting to look like a, uh, you know, Brandon Roy, Anthony Hardaway type of deal where he just may never be healthy again. And obviously he got a lot of good years in before this, you know, rash of injuries hit. And they know I, NBA team last year too. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, I really hope he can come back. His, his season last year was phenomenal. Um, but I guess you're really your only sources of hope are him and Derek Rose. And then if you look at the younger guys, you've got Siku Dumbuya, who had like a nice week or two long stretch, but it's just been awful since then and before then. Um, I, I think there's a reason for some optimism with Luke Kennard, but I don't think many people would look at him and be like, oh, that's a surefire multi-time all-star. Um, there's just not a lot to be super excited about with the Pistons right now. I think they did the the – basically right thing by trading Drummond because it signaled that they're ready to restart. Um, They just don't have, they're not starting from a great position compared to some other teams that have, you know, blown it up and and restarted. And I think it would signal the opposite if they went out and signed a max free agent this summer, like they should be at the point now where they're in asset accumulation mode, maintain flexibility for the next few years and just go through that painful two or three years of being awful. So you can come out the other side a little bit better. I think I mostly agree with you. Um, I really like Christian Wood. It'll be interesting to see what kind of money. I, yeah, I'm glad you brought him up. Uh, It'll be interesting to see what kind of, I actually wrote about him in depth for, for Bleach Report in an article. I think that went live as we were recording this for anyone who cares, but I, I like him. Uh, Sekou Demboya, I just think he's interesting because he's mysterious still, and I, I really like Luke Kennard. He's just so much more than a shooter, can run a little bit of pick and roll, surely can do some stuff off the dribble, but you know, the tendonitis in his knees thing, that has to be a little bit of an issue. I just, mm-hmm. I'm very, I don't know what their timeline is going to be, because it would, if you didn't trade Derrick Rose in the trade deadline, maybe the market was really just bare bones for him, which is fine. Um, You shouldn't just trade him for the sake of trading him. But because you have him... Which is what they did with Andre Drummond. Well, yeah, but that seemed more more like a situation where we didn't... Not only did we not want to pay his next contract, we didn't want him to opt in. And so Derrick Rose at $7.7 million is a lot different than Andre Drummond at $28.7 million. Very true. Uh, But you also have Blake Griffin, who I would say... do you have to attach an asset to him this summer to move him? I don't think anyone's just going to take the chance on the final two years and... Uh, he's owed like $75.8 million over those two years. I could see a scenario in which they want to turn this thing around rather quickly. If you have Rose, if you have Tony Snell opting in, if you have Blake Griffin, um, maybe you 
you know, Luke Kennard, if he's healthy, you view him as an immediate impact player. Could you see them doing something what off? Are, Go ahead. What do they turn it around into, though? Well, that that's my. Could you see them just going off the walls and like, let's say Demar Derozan opts out and trying to pay him? Like, could you see this team doing something like that? They should not. I think that's clear. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I could see them doing that, but I, like you just said, I don't think it'd be the smart thing for them to do. No, if any, I would rather see them do something like let me let's throw a large offer sheet at Bogdan Bogdanovich and see if the Kings really are committed to keeping him. We know Brandon Ingram, if he gets maxed out, isn't going anywhere, so that's kind of a waste of time. But maybe you look at uh, Bogdanovich. Saric could be interesting, but not if uh, not if you have Blake Griffin there over the next two years. Malik Beasley is probably a name that'll catch a lot of attention. Uh, they are a team that could muck up some things for restricted free agents, but this is also the year where, you know, if you poached a Malik Beasley or a Bogdanovich, it makes me wonder how much you had to pay him to do it. Yeah, I think it's you're going to have to be pretty unreasonable to pry those guys away. Um, and again, I just don't, you know, Bogdanovich is almost 30 years old already. Beasley's uh, would make a little bit more sense to me, but do you want to pay him like, what would it take for Minnesota not to match 15 million? Do you want to pay him that much? 20 million. Right. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I think their best move is to just, you know, lean all the way into a rebuild. Like if they sign someone like DeMar DeRozan, I, I don't think that does anything for them. If they come back with Derek Rose and DeRozan and um, the big, pretty big question mark and Blake Griffin, I'm, I'm still not even sure they're the eighth seed in the East. Um, you know, I know that seven is going to be under 500 this season, but I still think they'd be in pretty much the same spot they're in right now. I just I don't think that moves the needle enough for them. They need to be a lot more aggressive in terms of, you know, like a 76ers style rebuild. I think Luke Kennard might be the barometer for them is if they do make him available over the offseason. That'll be telltale of whether they view themselves as a team that's going to turn this around quickly or they're really leaning into that full tilt rebuild. I think so. I think Kennard could be a part of the full tilt rebuild too, though. Um, I guess the I concern is not, not just his knees, but what is he going to command in his next contract? He's extension eligible this summer. You can wait, yeah. obviously, but what is you know? There's going to be a ton of cap space floating around the league in 2021. How old is he? He's 20, 22, 23? I don't even know. I thought he was twenty three, but I, I could be wrong on that one. So I'll double check. Christian Wood only twenty four. Uh, uh, Luke Kennard is twenty three. Turns twenty four in June, and so I guess. I could see them being part of the next thing, but if you could get like assets for them, that, that would that might make some sense too. We're now going to take a quick break to tell you about our sponsor, Bet Online. Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all things sports. March Madness, the Masters, and Major League Opening Day are right around the corner. Bet Online has you covered for all your latest news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. The best part? When you do sign up, you receive a 50% welcome bonus on your initial deposit. The Wilder Fury rematch goes down this Saturday night. We can't think of a better way to wager on the fight than doing it with actual free money. Head over to betonline.ag and use our promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your 50% off welcome bonus on your first deposit. We signed up at Hardwood Knox. It's super easy, and if you're already into betting, it's a fantastic way to support this podcast. Again, that's promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, when you sign up at betonline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Yeah. My next team, and we'll see if you agree again, this is a five-team tier. I have number four is the Charlotte Hornets, who are finally going to have like somewhat flexible books this summer uh, after it seems like spending forever in salary cap purgatory 
there is nothing scarier to me than a team governed by Michael Jordan with cap space <laughs> at this point. <laughs> um, I will say that buying out Marvin Williams suggests that they are committed to something that's less than an ultra unlikely mega fast about face, which maybe is encouraging, but I could also see them being a team that, you know, a lot of these teams like the Pistons, they could just go the one year out and see if they can pay way above market value um, to get these players for one year and sort of kick the can to 2021 and just see what they have. But I could see them not just going after the restricted free agents. We just talked about uh, a guy like Beasley or uh, Bogdanovich is old, but he would be an interesting fit on this roster. I could also see them after paying Terry Rozier last summer with Devontae Graham going to be due for a raise after uh, next year. Will they maybe go after an impact guy? And they weren't, they, they're not a DeMar DeRozan suitor if he opts out to me, but I could see them being a little bit more, I guess the word would be active with their cap space in giving out multi-year deals than they probably should be. And for free agents, I'm not terribly sure what the appeal would be to sign in Charlotte. I think their future is a little bit brighter than Detroit's just because you probably have more bites at the prospect apple when, you know, whatever you want to consider Devontae Graham, you have PJ Washington, Miles Bridges has been a wild roller coaster ride this year. <laughs> and then you also just have, you know, Cody Zeller, an incumbent talent that that's actually good. So they're probably a tick above Detroit, but I would listen to a case for putting them below the Detroit as well. Um, you probably won't get a great one for me because I, um, spoiler alert, agree with you on this one. I, I think the Hornets are slightly more uh, appealing for basically all the reasons that you just laid out, but it's, it's not, it's still bleak. Um, <laughs> it's what I'm trying to say. I, I thought it was funny, but also true that Michael Jordan's cap space is kind of a scary proposition. Um, one thing that we haven't talked a ton about yet is, is how weak this free agent class is generally. Um, and so if a team like Charlotte or Detroit thinks we're going to we're going to strike while the iron's hot here and sign one of these free agents. I just don't I don't think any of them are going to move the needle all that much. Like they're neither of these teams is obviously going to get Anthony Davis. He's going back to the Lakers. Um and after think, that the best of, let's say gettable free agent is it Danilo Gallinari? Yeah, and and I think Gallinari would he'd be fairly interesting um in Charlotte, but I think he's at a point in his career where he might be looking more at contenders in Charlotte and Detroit are just far, far from that. Like I wouldn't be surprised if Gallinari took quite a bit less to just play for a good team at this point in his career. Um, it's so tough to and it might just be, you know, is he a mid-level exception guy? I would think not because would, OKC has his bird rights, but like the teams that have cap space as we're going to see as we get through this, like they're not teams on these immediate timelines. Yeah. I was just about like, as I was saying, he'll take less. The thought in my mind was mid-level exception, but then I thought about the number and I thought that's, that's quite a bit less um, than what I think he could get. And we may come to a team here in the max cap space um, teams that would go after him, but then it complicates 2021. So maybe not. Um, anyway, it's just an interesting combination of the teams that have cap space are not terribly appealing this summer. The the free agent class itself is not terribly appealing. This, you know, last year was really exciting free agency for obvious reasons. Tons of player movement, tons of good players, tons of teams with space. This year is going to be really interesting for different reasons. I mean, if there's just a, a complete like lack of player movement, does that motivate teams like Charlotte or Detroit to be a little bit more 
um, aggressive in going after someone who can actually help than they may have otherwise been. I, I think the smart move for Charlotte too is to just be kind of cautious. Um, I don't I don't think it would do them a ton of good to spend their max cap space on a guy who's going to take that up for two or three years and not really do much for them. Um, they're to me at a point where they should be more focused on the young talent, like you said, and they have been this season to their credit. Like Borrego has played the young guys a lot more than the veterans. They bought out Marvin Williams. They bought out MK, MKG. And, and you mentioned some of the, you know, Miles Bridges is still somewhat interesting to me, but like you said, he's been a roller coaster. Malik Monk, I, the, it's almost time to be out on him, I would think. Did uh, randomly catch fire before the All Star break, but yeah, I'm out on I'm out on Malik Monk. It was just, well. you know, they they have at least a couple guys here and there who I think are fascinating. I mean, Devontae Graham has cooled off big time since that hot start, but he's still pretty interesting. Um, so this, like Detroit. The Hornets are a team that I think should just sort of stay on the track they're on. Don't try to jump in, you know, ahead. Just kind of be patient and uh, see what happens down the road. I'm with you. And look, it just makes sense to at least wait until 2021 to, I know they're not a free, a huge free agent destination anyway, but Batum comes off the books. Zeller comes off the books. You, that's when you're going to need to re- opt in, by the way, right? <laughs> if he doesn't, that would There's be no- the shocker of all shockers. Yeah. Uh, so, and then you, that's when you have to give Devonte Graham the raise and they really just don't have any key free agents this summer. Uh, Willie Hernan Gomez is not part of their future. Dwayne Bacon, it looks like they're sort of out on him as well. So it just makes sense for them to kick the can into 2021. But again, the fact that they have cap space is just a little bit scary to me. Yeah, for sure. Number three in this tier is the Knicks. Their cap situation is more fluid than anyone else's, uh, in the max space, max space ish territory. Just because they have all these non-guaranteed deals that are only have that are only worth a million dollars, they can waive you know a Taj Gibson and Elfin Payton and only have to pay them a million bucks. Uh, they have a team option on Bobby Portis, so if they just decide to hey, we're gonna delay our big decisions until 2021 when there's more stars available, they they can essentially move themselves out of this tier. That said, I don't think that they'll pick up Bobby Portis's 15.8 million dollar team option. And then if you get rid of him, they're immediately a cap space team. And then if you get rid of, you know, if you wave a Wayne Ellington, they're all of a sudden in 25% max territory. They don't have, I would expect them to bring Reggie Bullock back, his uh, $4.2 million non-guaranteed salary. Uh, they have, Damian Dotson's a free agent, uh, probably the only a free agent of theirs that they care about. They also just don't have any many, again, unless they wave these guys. So I, I, I think they'll end up belonging where they are in this tier. However, I, are they? Am I not giving them enough credit as a free agent destination this summer because Sorry, it's New York? I couldn't hear what you said. And Siri's going off as my Apple Watch is going buck she, wild. She can't understand that, nor can I. Yeah. So look, Siri's confused, Annie's confused. <laughs> um, but I just I, there's not a lot of options in free agency, so they're more appealing. Are they more appealing than we think? At the same time, knowing the teams that we have in front of them or I have in front of them. I think this is probably where they belong, and I almost feel like it's a gift because I don't, I don't look at them like they haven't proven that they're like this regular functioning organization. No. Right from look, Steve Mills needed to go. First of all, he didn't actually go; he's still on the <laughs> payroll, just like but, John Beeline. Right, and two, you did it like inside fifty hours of the trade deadline. What <laughs> team does that? So it's just bizarre to me. And then you factor in that they don't really have 
a cornerstone. Mitchell Robinson is good. I don't think he's best player on a really good team good. And then I think it's probably too soon to write off RJ Barrett there, but his efficiency has been in the toilet for most of this year. And look, maybe some people still believe in Kevin Knox. I will defend Frank Nielakina until the day that I die, but those aren't, those aren't, (laughs) yeah, those aren't surefire cornerstones. So they're just in this weird situation. And if I'm a free agent, 2020, 2021, I don't care. New York just doesn't have the appeal to me that many of the other teams would. And what's buoying them right now is they're in such a small subsection and they're in front of probably two teams that might be less desirable landing spots than them at this point. Yeah. Um, they certainly should not be ahead of the two teams you have ahead of them. I, you know, when I was looking at this list of five teams that you have here, there was a little piece of me that thought, can I, can I put them behind the Hornets and the Pistons? Um, but it is New York. Um, and I know that we've gone through that song and dance many, many times with the Knicks. It's like every year when they're going to have cap space, we say, well, somebody's going to want to play in New York. Someone's going to want to save the Knicks. Um, someone's going to want to be the guy who brings glory back to that storied franchise. And it's just, you know, year after year after year, it doesn't happen. We have the quote from Kevin Durant last summer saying, it's just not the cool thing among players anymore. And even again, we're going to probably harp on this a few more times. If you just look at this particular free agent class, it's like right. one of these guys is going to bring glory back to the Knicks anyway. Like if they did want to spend all this on one player, um, there's nobody in this crop of free agents that's like, he's going to change your organization, uh, at least not that I can see. So I'm going to start to sound like a broken record. This is another team where I think you just sort of keep moving along with the young guys. Um I was listening to John Hollinger on the Nerder She Wrote podcast this morning, actually, on The Athletic. And he was talking about how it happens in NBA front offices, basically that scene in Moneyball where Brad Pitt's character, Billy Bean, or character, the guy he's the real life person he's playing, um, trades the first baseman like right before the game starts. So he's forced to play this guy that the that the front office wants in the position. And and I, you know, Hollinger was talking about how that happens in the NBA, when you've got a coach who really wants to play the veterans, um, sometimes you just make the decision for him and you move those guys. And I think that's what New York's front office might need to do. I mean, there are huge question marks with all the young guys in New York that you mentioned, with the exception of Mitchell Robinson. Um, like you said, maybe, maybe he's not like the best player on a really, really good team. Um, I'm not, you know, I'm not completely ruling that out, but I, I also don't think there's a lot of question marks with him. With R.J. Barrett, it's like historically bad efficiency. Um, Dennis Smith is having like an all-time bad season. Kevin Knox, who knows what he is besides an occasional decent three-point shooter, Frank Lakina. <laughs> <laughs> Frank Lakina, good defensive player, hasn't really shown much else other than that. But... Yeah. <laughs> That's that's the young crop that you have. I think you got to at least play them together. See see you know if they can build any any kind of chemistry, any kind of continuity. See if one or two of them maybe start to stand out with a bigger role, um, and then you supplement it with the assets that you can accumulate over the next couple of years. Like you said, it's probably too early to be out on R.J. Barrett. So maybe over the next two or three years, he starts to pop a little bit. Maybe like Brandon Ingram did two or three years into his career, and then you start to add other young guys to it. Um, I just think it would be really impatient and ill-advised if you blew all this cap space now on on some guy that's probably not going to change your fortunes. 
I will say they might be appealing to point guards on the market, and there aren't a ton of them, because the Knicks just might see someone, there are probably two routes to go. Let's look at someone like Goran Dragic, who, yes, he's older, probably wants to play for a contender. At the same time, how long has it been since the Knicks had someone better than like a bottom five point guard? And so they might just be like, hey, here's all the money for one year. Come play with us. Or I really could see them throwing the bag at Fred Van Fleet. Yeah, I, I've heard that too. I guess I could I could see that as pretty interesting. He's not super old, obviously, either. So maybe he fits a little bit. Um, 26, but that doesn't... Look, I'm not... The whole jiving with the timelines, maybe that's not as important as we think. So I... I agree I, with you there. Yeah. But how much are you going to like, what is Fred Van Fleet worth to get him away from Toronto? You probably have to pay him more than $20 million a year. Yeah. And at that point, like we've already said, like, is he a guy who's going to change the fortunes of the New York Knicks? I don't know. Um, the one interesting thing I'm thinking about now too, is, you know, if these teams with cap space, if they all choose to do what I'm advocating and just sort of uh, keep plugging along with the young guys, it, it makes, it interesting to see where all the free agents go this summer. It's going to be really interesting to see how this, you know, free agency puzzle, puzzle kind of falls into place this summer. I will say the next two teams on this list, their destinations. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll say them at once, but we can talk about them individually. I think Atlanta Hawks at two and the Miami heat at number one uh, for the Hawks. I think the fact that they traded for Clint Capella shows not only that, they view John Collins as a four long term. Uh, if they even view him as a long term piece, that's it's something else. Still that they weird to me a little bit. Uh, but it also shows a certain, or at least infers a certain commitment to competing next season. I would think so. I could, you know, see them. They have almost fifty million dollars in room, even after tra- trading for Dwayne Dedman, and so they could really go after somebody. I don't know if you look at anyone on the free market, free agent market, and say, you know what, this this guy would actually really help. Atlanta immediately uh they could you know are you going to sign a four when you have John Collins like and he's extension eligible do you view him as a a long-term piece and then the the wing market isn't especially deep this summer I don't know how much a Gallinari really helps their team because it seems like they need more of these two-way wings like maybe DeAndre Hunter is that guy eventually uh less likely maybe Cam Reddish is that guy eventually but they do need more two-way wings and those really aren't unless you consider you know maybe jay crowder is considered a two-way wing they can make moves like that but i do think that they will use their cap space and since the market for absorbing bad salaries attached to picks doesn't figure to be all that good at least over the offseason because what team really is going to be worried about carrying out cap space for this free agency landscape I I would expect them to try and go after these players who would who would help them win now. And with Trey Young there, with just all the kids in general, you know, uh, one of the things that really hasn't been talked about enough, and I know that the sample size is not entirely huge, but the kids lineup, all kids in Atlanta, Trey Young, Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, just talking about this on Twitter yesterday. Yeah, all right, so the Trey Young, uh, Kevin Herter, Cam Reddish, DeAndre Hunter, John Collins lineup, two hundred and sixty two possessions. Uh, offensive rating in the 70th percentile about a league average defense and then uh, a plus 6.7 net rating like you have a good asset base there you have Clint Capella now and if you signed you know one two mid-tier free agents maybe there's a path to them being a playoff team in the east you're going to add this year's pick as well I I guess I'm more interested to see though if the Capella acquisition actually infers this commitment to hey we're going to go after win now players as opposed to placeholders this summer 
I think they could be looking at that and they're maybe at a position where they should be looking at that. I think Trey Young's a little bit ahead of schedule. Um, I'm, I'm frankly a little bit confused at what's going on with John Collins because I thought he had the potential to be a very, very good five. But I get what they're, you know, Clint Capella, I think, does make them better, uh, even if it relegates Collins to a, to more minutes at the five. I do think he probably has enough or to more minutes at the four. Excuse me. I do think he has the talent to make that work. I just like him a little bit better long term as a five. Um but I, you know, I think this is a team that maybe should be looking to spend their cap space. The only problem, again, is on who? Yeah, when you when you go through the list of free agents, it's like, yeah, this, you know, there's a couple guys here and there that make sense, but they're restricted. Like Brandon Ingram is not the the Pelicans aren't going to let him get away. Um, I think Bogdan Bogdanovich could be interesting there, but there was a report, you know, after the trade rumors settled down that this that the Kings were looking to match offers on him. Um, Malik Beasley is another one. Gallinari is kind of interesting to me, but then you run into the problem. Like now, what are we doing with John Collins? Um, it, it's just really, if you scan through like the list of top free agents for 2020, it's incredibly uninspiring. I mean, most of the names at the top are big guys, which they don't need. They've already got Capella, John Collins, uh, even Dwayne Dedman's back now. So I can't imagine them spending a ton of cap space on bigs. And then the guys who kind of make sense for them are either on player options for next season or they're restricted. Um, so it's just tough to see who they're going to spend that cap space on. Maybe you just load up on role players that's slightly above regular MLE salaries. And then you either you've increased your depth by having, you know, between two and four and maybe, guys on those contracts, or maybe you could move them later. Yeah. Or maybe do it kind of like the Knicks did last summer where you give them two year deals where the, second year's non-guaranteed or team option or however you want to do that, not fully guaranteed. And maybe you can try to run it back in 2021 when the free agent class is a little bit stronger. Try again. Maybe you've got another year of Trey Young playing really well. And so maybe there's a little bit more draw to want to play with him for free agents. Um, it, they are a team that I think is is maybe ready to start moving towards win now type of moves. But again, this is just a weird summer to hit that point. I, you know who would re- work really well on this team because they do need like some secondary ball handling as well. Gordon Hayward, he has a player option. I thought about I, Hayward too, but he I, he's not going to turn down that option, right? I don't. He seems like a guy who might be able to secure a pretty large bag over the longer term. Where it's like so, like DeAndre Drummond's a good example here. Twenty eight point seven million dollar player option. Now, who is giving him more than the non taxpayers mid level in this summer? And I I hate that the that thought process sounds so crass, but it's a legitimate question. Yeah. And yes, he could sign a four-year deal for the full mid-level, but that doesn't even guarantee him an extra $15 million over the longer term. Mm-mm. I think it would probably be worth it more for Hayward to opt out than an Andre Drummond. That doesn't mean that he will, because it might not be uh, just worth it in a vacuum in general. But I, 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 he's been playing so well lately, like maybe you try and capitalize on that momentum uh, but then you're risking what team is going to come in with the offer because the Celtics will have a, a, just a ton of leverage there. They don't, not that they don't need him, but when you have Brown, Tatum, Marcus Smart, Kemba Walker, there is, he's keeping him isn't going to be their most pressing need. And so you, you would then be gambling that a team like Charlotte or Detroit or Atlanta or New York, you know, one of these teams would, would then try and really pay you. I think somebody would probably swoop in and give him. I don't know, close to 20 million a year, maybe right around there. Um, which if it's, you know, a three or four year deal, he's obviously making 
up what he opts out of and then some on the back end. And I, you know, as I was scrolling through the list of free agents, I thought, yeah, he's a guy who does make sense for Atlanta. I, I think a lineup with him, uh, Trey Young, Kevin Herter, John Collins, Clint Capella, that's really interesting. Like I'd, I'd be hard pressed to pick against them making the playoffs. Um, but I just, at this point, it's kind of hard for me to not see him in Boston next season. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to go back to what I said earlier. I think basically anyone who makes sense for Atlanta next summer is either a restricted free agent or has a player option. So it's just kind of tough. Uh, the number one team, the Heat, I, I think they belong number one here. Now, the argument yeah. against that would be they're not going to want to hand out long-term deals because they have visions yep. of a 2021 free agency coup. Now, here's my counter to that, is that if you look at their assumed guaranteed salaries for that summer, you would have Jimmy Butler at $36 million. You'll have Bam Adebayo's cap hold at $15.4 million, assuming you haven't already extended him. And you'll have Tyler Hero at $4 million. And I'm just assuming, you know, Casey Akpala, Chris Silver, this year's pick. Yeah, I'm just assuming they'll, they'll get rid of all those guys, decline Andre Iguodala's team option. That's $55.4 million committed to three players. And that's just in cap hold. So, you know, Bam Adebayo could be more expensive. Uh, he's certainly trending in that direction. So you've moved yourself out of signing two superstars. Like there are things that you could do via sign and trade, but you're not, even if you get Giannis Antetokounmpo, like that's who you're getting. You're not in the two superstar range. And so in theory, the Heat can hand out a sizable contract this, this summer that spans two or three years or four years even, and then still have enough room to go after that one max guy in 2021. So a guy like Danilo Gallinari or even a Gordon Hayward, if he opts out, those might be the, the limit of who they'd be willing to spend long-term on, but I, I think the Heat are appealing because they can, even if it's just to two or three role players that equal one sub-max salary, they do have the flexibility to give out these multi-year deals. And the other thing I'll just remind everybody is that they pawned off James Johnson and Dion Waiters' money. Yeah. They will figure out a way, if they want to get rid of people yeah. to make cash space, they'll figure out a way to do it. So, And look, you always have the option. I'm not saying you would do this, but you open up a ton of cap room by either moving Bam out of bio before you pay him or just declining that hold if you want two superstars. I'm not saying they will do it. I don't think Bam out of bio is really, really good. Uh, I wish I had the quickness that he has in his feet. But anyway, <laughs> I, I think that the Heat can be more aggressive this summer with their cap space over the longer term at, rather than just these one plus one deals, which maybe that's the route they go anyway. But I, I think they are a threat to do something just a little bit more aggressive than people are are thinking right now so let me ask you a question um how much money can they commit to free agents this summer and still have a max next summer so here was sort of my thinking is that if they wanted to um, um let's say and i'm assuming this guy would pick up his 2021 20, player option and maybe he doesn't but like you could get a drew holiday and carry Jimmy Butler and still have a path to affording that other max guy in 2021. So Get like Drew Holiday for how much though? Like, well, Drew Holiday is making 27. Like that's his, I'm saying if they traded for him, Oh, trade for him. Yeah. Cause he's under contract. Right, right, right. Right. So like you could go, I think they could go, you're talking about leaving the rest of the roster bone thin. So maybe that's why they wouldn't do this. But in general, if they want to divvy it up among a few players, I think they can go to 20, to $25 million this summer and still feel pretty good about being able to carve out that second max slot. 
like for you know for another star i'll say it's that because they're if they give out a max contract this summer up to someone other than a restricted free agent obviously that sort of precludes them so that's why the chris paul trade can be so uh, like that gets thrown out the window a little bit but like if they want to go p- pay fred van fleet 20 million dollars they can do that and without taking themselves out of the 2021 free agency game um that includes the possibility of trading bam at a bayo i guess no, it, look, so they have, I'm just, let's just assume that they get rid of everybody besides Bam, okay. Hero, okay. and Butler for that summer. So between those three players, um, salary slash cap holds, you're looking at $55.4 million against a salary cap that I think will even creep above $120 million at that point. I don't know. You have to factor in minimum holds, uh, all this other stuff, and maybe they want to keep, you know, do they want to keep Jay Crowder? But uh, there's some, if you're willing to sort of leave the supporting cast thinner, uh, you have a path to spending a, a ton of money th- this off season. And look again, they could go the other route of let's keep just a few role players on multi-year deals because we really think we're going to get that um, star in 2021 anyway. So there's, I, I think they have more optionality than people were at least talking about. Well, thank you for talking me <laughs> through it. I, I think the answer to, the question at hand is they're clearly the number one team of these five in terms of um, appeal to free agents. I think if you said they were totally against, let's if I said though, they are totally against giving out more than what, let's just say deals that amount to one year. Do you think that gives the Hawks a case to be put above them? Yeah. I mean, if we had a Chris, if we had some sort of like inside source into Miami and, and, they told us that that was the case. I think there is a case for Atlanta. Um, Trey Young is already like all all the complaints about his defense. I think are fair, uh, but he's already one of the most electrifying, just flat out best offensive players in the league. And I think people are going to want to play with him. Um, right. I, I think there's a decent amount of of pull there, but I think Miami's probably. <laughs> We we said at the top that we might not factor market a ton, but Miami is Miami. I think guys like to be there. Um, yeah, for sure. There, there's, I guess maybe an added consideration of the whole culture thing. Like, do you guys want to work that hard? I, I don't know how many people would be turned off by that. I, you know, it certainly didn't go great for Dion Waiters. It went well for James Johnson for the first couple of years, but it seems like maybe it kind of soured there at the end. Um, I don't think that's a huge consideration. I, I think the fact that it's a winning team or a winning culture, a, a good city to live in, uh, a team that's already better than people expected this season, um, lots of talent there already. That That's going to be a really intriguing spot for 2020 free agents. It's just uh, – who are you going to break the bank for in this class? If you're right. I mean, it makes sense to once again, just sort of maybe the one year deal makes a ton of sense for them right now. Um, because there's not a ton of guys you'd want to lock up long-term this summer anyway. I mean, the the one that made sense to me at the trade deadline, when his name came up was Daniel Gallinari. I think if they had landed him, they would have just, I, I would have loved that team. Like, I, I liked what they did with Andre Godala. I think Gallinari would have been much, much better for them. Um, obviously getting both would have been amazing, but it sounds like that broke down when they wouldn't give Gallinari the kind of extension he was looking for, which is, uh-huh. which would be people's argument as to why they're not going to hand out long-term deals this summer, which I totally understand. Yeah, for sure. So in terms of these five teams with cap space, um, if we just kind of throw out some of the external factors, I think it's very easy to say this is the most appealing destination. 
I obviously agree with you. This next subsection, it's going to go exponentially quicker. I'm actually going to name them all at once. So we're looking at the mini MLE teams, which are a, they're projected taxpayers who only ha- figure to have the $6 million mid-level exception to spend um, unless barring any substantial changes. And I think the question that goes into these rankings is, one, how likely are these teams to actually use the full mini MLE? Because we we know, as Tillman Fertitta, uh, the Rockets are not in this tier, but as we know, owner uh, these you know, owners care about paying the luxury tax. So how likely are they to spend it? And then how appealing are they going to be? I think in this market, you essentially have to ask to guys who maybe could get more elsewhere, but would want to come play for them because of the opportunity at hand. Mm-hmm. And so with, with that criteria in mind, number five, the Brooklyn Nets. Number four, the Philadelphia 76ers. Number three, the Golden State Warriors. Number two, the Los Angeles Clippers. Number one, the Boston Celtics. Do you have any qualms about that order? Okay, I have one question before we get into qualms. Um, is Golden State not a full mid-level team? Because I thought they ducked the tax. You're going to have to give me some cap 101 here. They ducked the tax this season, but next year when Draymond Green's extension kicks in, uh, I, I I think they're basically at the tax line with just their top four paid players between Curry, Thompson, Wiggins and and Draymond Green. Between the four of them, they're making 130.2 million dollars. And so uh they're 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 projected to be more than 15 million dollars over the tax with the roster spots they have assembled right now. So th- they will only have the mini MLE to work with. My guess yeah. is they'd be willing to spend it at least because they duck the tax this year and that alleviates repeater tax concerns. Okay. So if they're operating in the tax on like a certain date, that's um, well. That's it's just, so you have factor, right? You have by the end of the season to get out of the luxury tax, but they just don't. There's no way they're getting out of the luxury tax unless they just trade one of their big salaries f- for essentially nothing. And that's why they're like they're they're so a team they that just can't duck the tax next season to get out of out of the tax. Is that what you're saying? Right. If they wanted to use like they, they if they were going to be hard capped, they have to. Uh, figure out a way to get under the the luxury tax threshold, which is what happened with the sign and trade of D'Angelo Russell's. They were hard capped immediately, and that's what made it so hard for them uh, to make trades this year. But we're looking ahead to next season, and they're just firmly in the tax. It would take too much cap maneuvering for them to duck it. Okay. Well, as far as qualms go, um, I don't think I really have any. I guess I guess there's maybe an argument for Los Angeles being number one over Boston, but I think I think there are arguments for both of them in that spot. So I don't have a problem with you putting Boston at number one. I think the Clippers and the Celtics are both going to be title contenders for at least the next couple of years, and maybe Boston's ceiling is reached a little bit further down the road. And so if you're a team that wants, or if you're a player that wants to develop into a contender with a team, maybe Boston's more the pick maybe maybe there's a little bit of a question mark with um the way that Kawhi and Paul George ended up structuring their contracts last summer like maybe you think that situation's a bit more tenuous than Boston's is um so I think maybe there's a little bit of little bit of a discussion to be had there and and I guess I could still see some free agents thinking well if if Stephen Curry comes back the way he was in you know 15 16 16 17 if Klay Thompson comes all the way back 
Um, it could be fun to play for the Warriors. Maybe they're, you know, right back on top pretty quickly. So maybe they can kind of be knocking on the door of that one-two conversation. Um, but I, I don't think I have anything that, like, looks egregious to me. I think Nets, Sixers, Warriors, Clippers, Celtics is totally fair. Yeah, for, for the Clippers, um, they actually become more appealing if they can get to uh, regular MLE money, and they'll have a chance to – to do that uh, if they let both Montrez Harrell and Marcus Morris walk for nothing and release their cap holds. I think they're going to keep at least one of them. And so that's why I have them in the taxpayers territory. What I think holds them back from the Celtics for me is that I'm not sure about their staying power just because Kawhi Leonard, Paul George, mm-hmm. and then also Lou Williams will be free agents in 2021. And do you expect this team to break up? No, but there's that potential there. Whereas for Boston, Kemba Walker's under contract. Uh, mm-hmm. Jalen Brown's extension kicks in next year. Jason Tatum is still going to be on his rookie scale salary through next season. They just seem to have a little bit more staying power for me. The the um the Warriors case is interesting because I actually considered putting them lower because can you guarantee that they're just going to be able to regain their title no, window? You, um, can't. you can't. And so what is Clay going to look like uh, coming back from his ACL injury, we can assume Steph will be fine because I'm pretty. I feel like he would have played already if the Warriors had anything to play for. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's that, but like all these guys are all of a sudden going to be over 30, and now you've thrown Andrew Wiggins yeah. into the equation. That's just a major wild card. I think you could make a case that they're also five. Um, I put the Nets. I, I think the Nets are fifth just because Kyrie Irving has missed most of this year, and now that he's reaggravated his shoulder. There's a chance he doesn't play again this season. Mm-hmm. So you have those questions in general that you've always had, plus Kevin Durant coming back from a, a ruptured right Achilles. If you can guarantee he's going to be a ten to 15, top 10 to 15 player, that's huge. But I don't know that you can guarantee that, at least for next season. I actually think he's going to be fine eventually once he comes back. But the first year returning from the Achilles injury is big. And so I think they're clearly fifth. There's probably a stronger case to put the Sixers ahead of the Warriors, but they're just a mess. Right now, I know people have said that maybe they have a higher ceiling in the playoffs. I kind of agree, but just as I could see them giving the Bucks problems, I could see them losing in the first round to whoever they face. If it's the Heat, if it's the Celtics, if it's the Raptors, I could see them losing that series. And so I don't know how appealing it is, especially when unless they move one of their main five guys, if you're signing with them, you're doing so with the knowledge that you're not going to be closing games, essentially, unless they're just going to tether Al Horford to to the bench for those stretches. And even then, you know, could Matisse Thibel then be in the closing lineup as opposed to whatever free agent they're signing. So the, the actual, the conversation between the Clippers and the Celtics for me, that was easier to have than the one between uh, the Warriors and the Sixers. And I think you could loop the nets in there as well. Yeah. I mean, now that you broke it down the way you did, I could see a conversation between those last two teams too. Um, Maybe I you know, the way I would look at it is maybe golden state kind of by itself at number three, little bit of a battle over four and five with the Nets and Sixers and then a little bit of a battle with the Celtics and Clippers for number one. Um, yeah, I, I want Kevin Durant to be back to the old Kevin Durant when he gets back. I'm just the, the evidence on Achilles injuries is just so scary. Um, so I'm that that's what worries me there. Players seem to love playing with and being associated with Kyrie Irving a lot more than maybe the media does. Um, and so maybe I'm being unfair here, but you know, uh, here's another situation where the evidence is just not terribly favorable when it comes to Kyrie Irving and, and leadership. And maybe that's not a great situation to be in if he's your leader. Um, but like you said, there's a ton of issues with Philly too. I mean, who knows what that team's going to be in a couple of years. 
um, just, just major fit question marks there. So I, th I think you could probably justify a lot of different orders here. I'm totally fine with the one that you have. Um, Nets, Sixers, Warriors, Clippers, Celtics is, is a okay by me. I'll end with this because I think w when you're in this uh, taxpayer territory, you have to look at which impact players might want to ring chase. Who do you think is the best player? that might be willing to go and try and sign for this $6 million level exception and get a ring with one of these teams from this free agent class. Jeez. I have one that I think is outside the box. And the only reason I have him there is because he's getting his full three year, basically $100 million deal from the nuggets is. Paul I was Millsap. Millsap. Yeah. Yeah. What if, the, what if Denver who I picked to win the championship this year? So please don't kill me. Nuggets fans. What if they get bounced in the first or second round, or even what if they go far, but they're like, well, we have Michael Porter jr. Uh, you know, we have, we could resign Jeremy Grant unless he opts out. Uh, maybe they just view Millsap as a little bit more expendable because of where his price point point could be at. And if you're Millsap, you're definitely getting the full MLE from someone. Uh, the Rockets would throw it at him in a heartbeat. I have no doubt, even though they've leaned fully small, ball. but I would love to see him with the exception of the Sixers. I would kill to see him on any one of these other four teams next year. He'd be a perfect small ball center for Houston, by the way. I don't want to see him leave Denver either i'm not let's make that clear I, yeah denver was my championship pick but if if there was someone like a little bit better than expected who could go ring chase uh i i think it would be paul Millsap. like kind of the feeling it didn't work out but like remember when demarcus Cousins signed for the mini mm. mle uh this would be similar except that at least Millsap's it's not because of injuries because he's at a point in his career where he can maybe just uh, afford to do that or, or simply wants to do that uh, the other name that stands out would be a marcus all i could see being someone that I don't know which teams, you know, the Clippers, I think he'd be a good fit on the Celtics. Um, you could, I don't know if the Warriors would value him as much as other teams, uh, just with the way they play. They might, I mean, he could still could be, be kind of like Bogut was for them for a little bit. Yeah, that's true. So um, again, with the exception of the Sixers and, and the Nets, because they have Jared Allen and DeAndre Jordan, because they needed to give him four years last year. Uh, <laughs> those other three teams though, like Marcus all would be appealing to Boston, the Clippers and, uh, Wow, I can't talk right now. And, and Golden State. Like, that would be another interesting name. I don't know. These guys could get more money. So I'm not saying they would take the mini Emily, but those are probably the two biggest potential ring chasers that I could see. Is there any chance Gallinari would do that? Like, has he hit that point in his career yet, or is he too young still? Age 32. And he's got a long list of injury history. Um, I would, if he gets, I would actually be shocked if, if he gets even mid regular mid level money. I think. There's you don't think someone's going to sign him for the mid level. No, no, I would be shocked if he doesn't get at least that. Oh, okay, okay. Because my guess is that the Thunder resign him to something resembling market value and flip him later, or maybe they work out a sign and trade right away. I will say Gallinari, just you know, looking at the timing when he signed that extension in Denver, like he's he's found a way, and then obviously signing with the Clippers, he's found a way to get paid throughout his career. After this yeah. season, he's going to have like close to 140 million dollars in career earnings. So. I just think with the money that the Thunder would probably give him, um, and, and if look, if Gallo is signing for the mini MLE, uh, something like, he would be ring chasing. I just think he's too young to do that because even if OKC won't pay him, you have to imagine at least you know Miami would be offering their title contender, and they you would think they would be offering him more than that. That's true. Yeah. So I think the ones you identified are probably pretty good. Um, Gasol is probably way more likely than Millsap, though. I would say, right? Just looking at the ages and how injured Gasol's been this year. Yeah, for sure. Um, so 
we have hit uh, teams with max cap space and teams that can offer the mini mid-level exception. Um, if you want to quibble about any of our rankings or any of the takes that we gave, you can find Dan on Twitter at Dan Favalli, F-A-V-A-L-E. I'm at Andrew D. Bailey. The show is at Hardwood Knox. The sponsor is at Blue Wire Pods. Um, as always, we encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the show. And if you've already done that, obviously tell your friends and family to do the same. And until next time, we leave you with the shout out to Ben Udry and Kyle Anderson. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.